0: welcome back to the duke and duchess podcast
1: welcome welcome to episode 78 where we will be discussing all of the interludes between part one and part two of the words of radiance
0: That's right. This will be covering interludes one through four. On our next book club, we'll be covering chapters 13 through 21 of the Words of Radiance. What? It's kind of a longer section than we usually do. We will be taking the week of Christmas off, so we wanted to give people a little bit of a longer chunk to read. We will be releasing an episode for you guys the week of Christmas, but we won't be recording a new Words of Radiance book club.
1: Yes, exactly. We will find something, something from the treasury, something from the little dentist toy box <laughs> that we will, we will pull out so we will have an episode next week. More to come.
0: <laughs> Why don't you put our spoiler policy out there for anyone who's joining us for the first time?
1: Certainly. So the spoiler policy is very simply that Liz has read these books and all the books in the Brandon Sanderson Cosmere. I have not read any of these books, and therefore we will not spoil anything past Interlude 4 of Words of Radiance.
0: You ready to get this show on the road? So we had some interlude goodness. It
1: was all kinds of interludes.
0: All kinds of interesting stuff. Okay. There's so many
1: different and unique and cool characters and so many cameos from characters we've seen other places.
0: I was hoping you would catch some of those.
1: Oh, I caught them all. All
0: right, let's get into it.
1: Nothing gets past the old Duker.
0: No, no.
1: See, don't veto it early. <laughs> this
0: is that's not a veto. That's just advice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, I I think it's good advice.
0: <laughs> Interlude one is called Narak. We get a look inside the head of the Parshendi shard-bearer, Eshonai. She's returning home to Narak, the Parshendi's home base. Many of our questions about the Parshendi are answered and some new ones are raised. Eshonai's sister, Venli, is a scholar looking for the old forms of power for her people. Eshonai wants to meet Dalinar in order to sue for peace. They decide to take the decision to the Five, the Parshendi ruling council.
1: This is the worst gender reveal party I've ever been to. <laughs> so.
0: So a lot of a lot of questions that you, that you in particular have been saying, what about this? What about that?
1: Yes. I was very excited when I started reading and I realized we were getting a perspective from a bona fide member of the Parshendi. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, oh, thank goodness We finally get some perspective here.
0: And not just any perspective, the Parshendi Shardbearer.
1: That's correct. The one who's
0: been Loki stalking Dalinar. And we find out that she is the only Shardbearer of the Parshendi and she is their main general.
1: Correct. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So we learn a lot of stuff about the Parshendi, some of which we might have guessed, some of which is new to us. But it's neat the way all the little... Bits and pieces that the Alethi have gathered about them falls into place in this interlude.
1: And the things that don't fall into place, the things they don't realize.
0: Exactly. So the, the main thing I would say, main two things, uh, one is that the Parshendi have this sort of collective consciousness in the form of rhythms or songs that I guess they all can sort of hear. And uh, the rhythms have to do with their emotions, How they're feeling or how they're choosing to feel, so they communicate to each other through this this sort of collective consciousness.
1: It sort of reminds me of in Kingkiller Chronicle in ways of excuse me in the Wise Man's Fear the the karate dudes who wear the red leather. I can't I can't I'm brain farting. I can't think of their names right now. John Goodman. Live way up in the high with the wind, sword tree, yellow hat, mushmouth. Like to do it. <clears throat> Think babies don't come from men.
0: <laughs> so, I just want to see how long so, you can keep going. Swords
1: swords that have a you know a two thousand year history.
0: I I, I wanna say the A.E.L., but <laughs> <laughs> We we all know who you're talking about, yeah.
1: Yeah, those guys.
0: Why does it remind you of that?
1: Well, because of the way their emotions are expressed in this very outwardly visible...
0: Yes, the hand talk.
1: Yeah, correct. It reminds me of the hand talk. If you know what you're looking for, then how somebody is feeling is just incredibly overt and out there, which is... I always found in that series to be a very strange sort of thing, and I likewise find it a strange thing here.
0: The difference being that with the Adem, it's a cultural thing that's learned. With the the listeners, it's it's something that they're physiologically able to do and hear mm-hmm. that humans aren't.
1: Yeah, it's as though the sound already exists. And they simply have to sort of find and attach to it. Like A
0: tune yeah, they they call yeah, it attuning. Yeah. I tune attu- they attune to the rhythm of whatever.
1: So it's like a radio signal where all the radio signals for all the radio stations that you can get are all present at any given time. You just have to tune your radio to it.
0: Exactly. Yeah. But instead of radio stations, it's feelings. Like the air is full of feelings. I feel all the that time way
1: very often at our house
0: we do live with a 13 year old
1: girl well we live with several girls and
0: <laughs> that's true i can't put it on the 13 year old well, no
1: we live with an 11 year old boy whose feelings are also thick as soup
0: you know what it's true and she just mostly stays in her room so exactly now she, that i think about it
1: she's the least contributor to that <laughs> Phenomenon.
0: Anyway. (laughs) Anyway, they've got this sort of radio system of of feelings out there. And it's been mentioned that the Parshendi seem to be able to hum. it here, And you can see a Parshendi on one side of the camp humming a song, and then another one on the other side of the camp will be humming the same song. But so now we know what that's all about. Correct. So some of the rhythms that get mentioned that Eshonai attunes to are resolve, peace, remembrance, the, the rhythm of the lost, the rhythm of mourning. So they use it not only to like punctuate and emphasize what they're saying, because you can attuned to a rhythm that you're not feeling. Ashonai says that, you know, un- unless you concentrate on attuning to a certain rhythm, your body will naturally choose one that fits your mood, but you can attune to other ones. Mm-hmm. It also seems to function as some sort of master clock because when a Shonai is... This is a different chapter, but she's Mm -hmm. going along and she when she attunes back to this rhythm of peace, she realizes that she's late because everyone else who's attuned to the rhythm is all kind of hooked up. So it's impossible to be late, basically, if you're a Parshendi and you're attuning to the to the right rhythms, which Mm. I think is pretty nifty. So the rhythms are, are kind of one of the main things we learn about the Parshendi, The other is that the Parshendi do change their form. They do. And we learn a lot of the details about that.
1: We do. It's like unlocking a new Megazord.
0: It's exactly like that. Only with Spren. Correct. So the Parshendi can take different forms by attracting the right kind of Spren, basically, and going out into a high storm.
1: Yes, that is right.
0: So, so far they have five forms that they know of. Uh, war form, which is the the parshendi that we've we see? seen so far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, work form, mate form, nimble form, and dull form. So, so many of the things you've w- been wondering about the parshendi. Uh, where are the parshendi women at? Yeah, you right? know how do the parshendi procreate? What you know? Yeah,
1: exactly. The one we forgot was slave form.
0: Right, and Ashonai as says. Um, that you could count six if you counted slave form, but slave form is actually the absence of a form.
1: Which is what the parchment that we normally see are, except for those that are slaves in dull form.
0: Yes, so dull form is a form that the the listeners can choose to take. It's like a step up from slave form as far as their intelligence it's and sort of their agency. Yeah, it's sort of the yeah, it's the it's the lowest rung as far as abilities and intellect. Yeah. So that Ashonai says that the slave form is the absence of form. It's the form with no spren. So we've seen spren be used as synonymous with souls, but it seems like the Parshendi have this intrinsic symbiotic relationship with the spren that we've seen in surge binders, but not in any other humans. All of their forms are based on bonding with a spren.
1: So after learning all this about the forms and about the songs and getting all of this, we find that Esh and I goes to the art room where they have all these Parshendi, the listeners, in different forms, trying to paint, with the intention of the intention being that they will attract Spren that they can study and attempt to use to unlock different forms. Which I think that's interesting because it sort of tells us that different Spren react to the Parshendi, because we've seen Shalan, doodling in her sketch pad and creation spren popping up everywhere.
0: Right, but that's because Shallan is good at drawing.
1: Yes. But they also said that there were nimble form, Parshendi, who were better at doing art and painting, but they don't seem to find creation spren.
0: Because they're still terrible at it, I think. Sorry, I'm not... I'm not trying to put down the parshendi art movement.
1: <laughs> it's just a it's just dada. <laughs> you just don't understand it. It's not good. It's not bad. I still sort of feel like my my gut take right now is that different spren play more or less significance among the parshendi.
0: Well, that's a that's a speculation. I don't correct. Okay,
1: yeah, yeah. That's I'm just saying, that's my that's my speculation.
0: So the different forms, when when a parshendi changes form, it changes their physical characteristics and also their personality tendencies. It doesn't necessarily change who they are, but their personalities get tweaked a little bit. Uh, but they can train themselves to act against those tendencies. So Ashonai talks about. Uh, Those in worker form really don't like confrontation. It's like a switch in their brain is off and they, they avoid confrontation. But when she's been in that form, she's trained herself to confront when necessary.
1: And one of the five sort of their ruling council is somebody who's in dull form, but they've taught themselves, trained themselves for their minds not to be quite so dull.
0: We also learned some interesting tidbits about Gavilar's murder.
1: We do. And this is where it starts to get interesting, in mm-hmm. my opinion. So she states that they killed Gavilar to stop the, quote, listener god from returning. Yes. So it seems like they were afraid that something that he was doing was going to cause the desolation to occur.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Because the return of the listener god seems to pretty clearly correspond with the idea of the desolations. They also talk about them escaping to find freedom. Yes. So that tells me that as we sort of suspected or as Yasna suspected rather, there is something that happens during the desolation which causes these normally docile creatures to not to become the void bringers. So they seem to express the same concern that they don't want their quote, God to come back. And that apparently whatever happens sort of takes them over. So there was something that they were afraid that he was going to find or say that was going to start that to happen. She says there was something that Gavilar had told them that night that put them in a fit of desperation where they made the decision to murder him for fear that he would create or cause the desolations. Correct. I find that interesting because we have this sort of thing where Yasna assumes that when the sprens start coming around and rebonding with humans And the power starts showing up that it causes the desolations to occur. Or rather that when the desolations are about to occur, the gods or whoever send these powers to humans so they can prepare.
0: Correct. And that's especially interesting because... In this interlude, when Ashonai and Venley are going back and forth about whether to seek this form of, form of power, and Ashonai says she's against it. She wants to try and make peace. She doesn't want to risk their old gods coming back. And Venli says, but the humans have surge binding again. So we need.
1: See, I think that's the next. Is that the next one?
0: In this one as well. Is it? Okay. Hmm. Yes. Venley says, uh, but they have surge binders and mm-hmm. I says it could have been an honor blade. We don't necessarily yeah, yeah, yeah. know.
1: That's right. Yeah. So what she challenges, Venley challenges Eshenaya and saying, what is it that you think you're going to be able to say to Dalinar that is going to like, what is it you want to say? Right. And she says, if she could speak with him, she would sue for peace. A couple of questions that sort of pop up into my mind from that. The meeting that they initially had wasn't that because they were having a peace treaty because they had been at war with the Parshendi?
0: No, they were never at war. Okay. So Gavilar discovered them and invited them to sign this treaty. Mm hmm. Or Ashonai discovered Gavilar and the Alethi, whatever, however you want to look at it. Yeah. It was meant to just be a peace treaty between the two peoples, but there had never been any conflict.
1: Gotcha. I think I just realized what Gavilar was going to do.
0: Really? Yes. You're going to say it now, or are you going to wait till the end?
1: Uh, I'll say it now. It'll be a prediction as well. I think what he told them, and the reason why he probably wanted this treaty, was because he was all up in the way of King's, And he wanted to find the lost city of Arathiru.
0: Okay. And
1: and they were like, no, 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 no. No touch Arathiru." That's when the bad gods come.
0: All right. Prediction noted.
1: That's what I'm saying. So the thing that also I find interesting is, why is it that she is so enamored of Dalinar specifically?
0: well I, I mean i can take a
1: guess at it but
0: he was one of the few probably who was still in power when she was there she was esha and i was at the peace treaty
1: yeah i understand that and dalinar and was drunk off of his face
0: he's also been like the main warrior of the alethi
1: which is why i mean she's not seeing because no elicar, elicar is,
0: doesn't doesn't go out there and correct, when he does yeah. he falls off his horse because there's a broken saddle strap like <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, no. Elakar's a mook. Everyone knows it. Even the Parshendi.
1: <laughs> even the Parshendi know. <laughs> Elkar is a complete palooka.
0: He's a, definitely a palooka.
1: Total palooka. <laughs> so she wants to sit down and have some sort of opportunity to have a discussion with him. I don't know that the Alethi would, but it's interesting that there's sort of like no avenue for negotiation there's no avenue for discussion there's no sort of messengers ambassadors no opportunity on either side for them to even attempt to have a kind of discussion
0: right and we've talked about this before there aren't like native parshendi villages that are like bystanders there's no there's no intermixing of these two groups at all Unless you count the Parshmen, which the Alethi do not consider the same thing as the Parshendi at all.
1: And I don't think the Parshendi consider them the same thing.
0: Uh, they kind of do. They're, they're kind of... I, I think they would consider them the same.
1: Yeah, I guess that's probably true.
0: So how, what was your take? How did you feel about the world building that was done here? Just, just the details about the Parshendi in general.
1: So I was glad to get a perspective from the Parshendi. To learn what I had sort of been suspecting, which is that they're not monsters. You know, they have some intelligence about them. I mean, we sort of already started to get a hint of that when we found the shard bearer who, you know, tried to speak to to um to Dalinar, but to get more insight into that and learn about how they live, I thought was interesting, picking up on the music and the rhythms thing understanding how that's able to work for them. I thought all of that was pretty cool. The um, there are some parts that are frustrating, but I'll get to those when we get to interlude four.
0: Okay. I think it's really interesting the way that Brandon Sanderson explores, communication between cultures and how easily that can go awry when we assume that our way of experiencing the world is everybody's way yeah so you've got these two races of of uh creatures who um experience the world in very different ways and to the point where they can't even fathom the parshendi know a little bit about humans as far as they're in mate form all the time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> how do they just walk around like that? You know. It's
1: a good question.
0: But but they can't really fathom how little the Alephi really understand about them. And so they they assume things about each other that aren't true, leading to this just I don't want to call it a misunderstanding because you know, there was an assassination. Yeah. It's like <laughs> hard to misunderstand that. But you've got this one race who intrinsically understands each other because they have this collective consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so they don't communicate in the same way that the Alethi do. And they don't communicate to the Alethi certain things that for us, it would be like, well, why don't they just tell them, tell them this or tell them that it's just, it's just completely different ways of thinking. Well, we also don't,
1: I mean, this is obviously a very tiny, snippet we're just dipping our po- our toe into the parshendi pool but i don't think that there is any indication in here whether or not they have any written language
0: Maybe not in this interlude but in interlude 4 there is okay that gets addressed okay oh no it's it, it's in this one this is, okay. yeah they talk about having learned the idea of written language from the humans and Venley, oh, I feel like Yasna. Venley making them, Venley asking them to make paper, like proper paper so she can take notes. Yeah. And that I, kind of thing. I
1: also remember Yasna saying something about remarking how quickly they were able to pick up their language and things of that nature. Yeah. So, So they do have that ability. Okay. The other thing that I felt like I read the first time, but when I went back through and reread it, I did not see it specifically. I don't know if I just missed it. But there was a lot of conversation in the beginning of this interlude about how, you know, they live in the, the quote, the tower from the Alethi perspective, which seems to actually be like a real legitimate like castle or tower that has just been essentially had creme deposits formed all over top of it. So it's got these mineral deposits that have made it look like it's been slagged. and But the guts of this city are still underneath all of that.
0: Well, yeah, that's true of all of the shattered planes. And
1: that's where they live.
0: Exactly. That's what I says. You know, the Alethi run around, they just see rocks everywhere, but they don't realize that they're standing on a, on a city that's just been covered in creme.
1: The other thing she said is that she said that there were cities, plural, Within the Shattered Plains. And that. You know this tower. Narak it was the largest of them. Is. Are the Shattered Plains that. Huge. That like. It spans across hundreds of miles.
0: I mean you have the map of Roshar as your screensaver. Pull it up.
1: Fair question. Looks like it would be hundreds of miles. (laughs) I remember early on sort of asking the question around you know could these the the chasms that they walk when they're on chasm duty you know could they be sort of like streets instead of streams and chasms
0: there's a lot of stuff buried under there i'd imagine
1: it's interesting because if that's if they if every chasm if every sort of like vertical Mesa that's out there is some sort of building that's just been covered over. Then these are like this would have been like the most enormous city ever in the world.
0: I don't that know that, that right. I don't think that yeah. that's true. I think the ground itself was shattered. Okay. I think the chasms are chasms in the ground, but I think the lumpy like rock formations that are on top of the mm-hmm. plateaus, those are the buildings that have been covered over. Okay. That, that's what she's talking about.
1: Okay, all right.
0: So interlude two is called Yim. At least that's what I'm calling him.
1: Makes sense.
0: We briefly meet Yim, a kindly shoemaker with the ability <laughs> to heal others. He makes a pair of shoes for an orphan and then promptly gets killed by a man in black bearing a shard blade. The man says that he is delivering justice for an act that Yim perpetrated forty years ago. Damn. It, did Brian McClure ask on the on the Facebook, what's our favorite quote of the section? Oh yeah. Okay, well, wait no longer, because mine is justice does not expire.
1: <laughs> justice is not milk. <laughs> Justice has no expiration date. <laughs> Justice is very well preserved. Justice is very high in sodium. <laughs> so, yeah, we get to meet this very nice, kindly old man. He, he gives us some interesting stuff, tells us that they're part of the long trail in the fourth land, and when the seventh land is taken, then everyone will be one. And then he's fucking killed. like (laughs) Chased down in cold ass blood.
0: What was your reaction to this interlude in general?
1: I enjoyed this interlude. This was actually my favorite of the interludes. Mm -hmm. This one was my favorite. Interesting sort of groundwork being laid and some perspective on what might be sort of a larger Cosmere idea and philosophy but then really clearly what the the most interesting part is is who's the guy in silver and black with the scar on his face
0: right because right. this is now the third time we've seen him
1: it is the third time we've seen him he's clearly one of the uh one of the ambassadors from the west who are who shows up in both of the prologues mm-hmm. for the way of kings and words of radiance mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the, the Azish man who has the crescent-shaped scar on mm-hmm. his face, right? Right. I have predictions, but...
0: We'll wait to the end.
1: But I'm going to save my predictions. Now, here's the other thing. It may not be the exact same guy. I think, it, I suspect that it is. But I have to also sort of leave the possibility... That there are a group of people who wear the same outfit and give themselves a scar and are part of some group. And this could be another one of those. Mm-hmm. So I can't definitively say it is this guy. But it seems to be that guy.
0: It seems to be that guy.
1: And it seems to be the more the more likely scenario.
0: So let's start with Yim. Yim is, is a guy who he's attracted a Spren. And seems yeah. to have begun the Nahel bond. But also seems like he doesn't really know what he's doing or what's happening to him.
1: Yeah, he's le- he's, you know, at the same sort of stage or maybe a little bit behind Kaladin and maybe the same level as Shalan, trying to figure out what's going on.
0: Right. He's got this spren. The spren certainly seems to be in that sort of infancy stage that we saw pattern in. It's, it has like sort of baby talk his spren looks like a pattern of light, like specks of light that you see in a crystal, um, and it sprouts up, grows upward like sprouts when it gets near him. So we certainly haven't seen any kind of spren like that before.
1: No, but mm. he
0: he kind of can tell what he's doing. He knows that he's taking in stormlight. He knows it has something to do with the spren, and when a a, a a ragged orphan comes in with a cut on his foot, he makes him a pair of shoes, gives it to him, and heals his foot. And you can tell this is something that he does regularly. So obviously goody good guy right here.
1: Yeah, I mean, how could it be more goody good than that? <laughs> He's the goody goodiest
0: Yeah, I mean, the the foot washing is a it's a powerful symbol. Yeah. And then the contrast of that symbol with just this unrelenting force of justice, unreasoning harbinger of retribution is really striking. Justice does not expire.
1: No, it does
0: So it's interesting because we know that this Crescent Scar guy has Mm. been stalking Yim. He's been watching him for a while. Yim says, you know, when his, when his friend says he's here, he says, oh, is it the, that guy, weird guy in the military coat watching me again? He's been watching him. He's been looking for something that he did wrong. And before he kills him, he says, I had to look really hard to find your indiscretion. And he, he found out that 40 years ago, when Yim was living on the streets, he delivered a poisoned bottle of wine, we're assuming some kind of gang war thing. He didn't know that it was poisoned or that it was going to kill this person, but he did it. The person died. He's an accomplice to murder. And so Justice Guy feels the need to kill him with a shard blade. It's pretty cold. It's pretty cold.
1: I mean, there are all sorts of things you could start to wonder from this. You know, is he killing him with a shard blade because shard blades specifically sever the soul from the body?
0: I like that.
1: You know, and this is a sort of this divine retribution. Is this guy going out and killing everyone who ever committed a quote crime or an indiscretion, whatever is considered serious enough for this guy to run around and execute people?
0: I mean, he didn't kill Yasna and she was literally on her way to meet with an assassin. Like,
1: right. yeah. <laughs> Well, and not only that, but Yasna also had bonded to a spren at that point.
0: I don't know that she had bonded to him. I, mm. I feel like that was the first time she met him. She she certainly hadn't really done any surge binding.
1: It was right after she had seen her spren in Shadesmar for the first time. For
0: the first time, yeah.
1: Hmm. Okay. But, yeah, interesting. Who Who is this cat, right?
0: Right. So we also get a little bit of background on these people, the Iriali, and their kind of interesting beliefs. We've seen people from this race before. They are the ones with the golden hair, like not blonde hair, but I think it's literally supposed to be gold. Yeah. Like a Bond chick or something. <laughs> So the Iriali believe that they are all one being with different minds, experiencing different lives. And they're basically, so basically they believe that they were all this one being who knew everything but had experienced nothing. And so they decided to split, become different beings so they could experience everything in the Cosmere. And one day when they've all experienced enough, they'll become one being again.
1: It was unclear to me whether this was something that was, related to the Iriali or whether it was something specific to him.
0: No, he says to the boy, we're Iriali. This is what we believe. And then the boy says something about a priest and he says, you're Iriali. You shouldn't accept a God or a priest. You Mm -hmm. don't need that. We only need to experience.
1: Yeah, we're part of the long trail.
0: The long trail.
1: Of which this is the fourth land.
0: That's right. More than halfway there.
1: Apparently. Apparently. When the seventh land is attained, all will become
0: one. So it's neat to look at, at who knows whether that's going to turn into anything or whether it's just a little bit of world building or exploring philosophy, but it's a it's interesting the way that for Yim, it motivates him to do what he does in the way that he treats other people. Mm-hmm. And he says to this orphan, he says, You wouldn't hit yourself in the face, would you? If I make your life better, I make my own better.
1: I like that. It's a good philosophy.
0: So interlude three is called ricin Are we calling her Ryson? Ah, eh, why not? Ryson, Ryson.
1: No, I think Ryson.
0: Ryson. Ryson and her master Vistem are on a trading mission to the Rusty Isles. Vistim is gravely ill, so Ryson is asked to finalize the trade that he has been working on. The trade goes poorly, with the king refusing to deal with Ryson. She decides to go over the king's head and speak directly to the Reshi god, who happens to be a great shell that doubles as an island. She ends up falling and becoming grievously injured, but also receiving from the island's soul itself a larkin, a creature thought not to exist anymore. So, the last time we saw Ryson and Vestim, they were trading with the Shin. And Ryson was asked to carry around a pot of stupid grass.
1: Stupid grass. I haven't had to carry around a pot of stupid grass since college.
0: <laughs> so, how cool are those reshy Isles slash giant crabs that people live on the backs of?
1: It's pretty groovy. It's sort of, the, you know, the world is, you know, on the back of a turtle shell I, kind of like look, concept. Look, I wrote it down. Is yeah, that what you The down?
0: world on the back of a turtle shell.
1: Yeah, it's that that sort of concept. But I I think you failed to mention the most important part of the chapter.
0: About Axies the Collector? Axies the Collector. I mean, I was going to get there, but that wasn't like, he wasn't like a crucial part of the plot. He was
1: the only part I cared about. <laughs> I have two notes. okay like axes (laughs) and what the hell's a Larkin? Like (laughs) that's it. Like that's all I have. Right. I mean, there was all kinds of cool stuff. Like I, you know, this was a, an interesting chapter from a getting to know, you know, the world. And, but the things that I thought were relevant were that we again, find axes and all the ways that, and the things that we learn from him, and then the stuff that we find out at the very 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 end of the chapter that's really what what i thought was interesting
0: well i think it's interesting just looking at the different cultures on roshar so the culture of the reshi isles draws people from all over who are attracted to a, a carefree lifestyle because the reshi isles literally move around i mean they're they're animals so they they're literally crawling around the ocean sometimes the islands will fight each other and then they'll all go to war but other than that they just basically chill on these on these islands and run around naked at the same time they're extremely insular and proud and they're resentful of being looked down on by outsiders and thematically i think we see in these chapters with Ryson and vestim it's not just subtext it's it's put out there the importance of understanding different cultures and i think yeah. that's in spe- especially impactful as it is sandwiched between the two interludes having to do with the parshendi and realizing yeah, how yeah, little yeah. the alethi understand about them
1: if the only they had of a vestim to help show them the way
0: i had of a vestim one time <laughs> Got it removed.
1: <laughs> so it would tell me it got inflamed. <laughs> it
0: was inflamed. Don't like to talk about it. But yeah, so Axis the Collector is there.
1: He's the the uh Branislaw Malinowski of Roshar.
0: So he's been strung up by the heels for asking about the spren of the island. So we know that Axes is a spren collector. Not that he actually keeps the spren, he just likes to go around and study them and watch them. So he says, the spren of this island must be spectacular, beyond even the spren that inhabit the regular great shells. And I guess that offended the king.
1: Yeah, and that was the interesting thing that I noted. So I was like, what, 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 what? The spren that inhabit the great shells? So, that, there are two ways that that could go in my mind. Mm -hmm. So, one is that the gem hearts are somehow spren themselves. We find out in the next chapter that spren can somehow be contained in a gem. Is it, or is it like, okay, so that's the first thought, is, are the gem hearts somehow a spren themselves? I don't think that's the case. The other thing we found out from one of Dalinar's visions is that the chasm fiends are spren, or they're not chasm fiends. I'm sorry. The thunderclast are composed of by sprens, like multiples of them. We've got a,
0: or they're called up by Sprint. They're called up somehow. by Sprinter.
1: somehow the Sprinter involved in in that process. Correct. We've got reference to them, the Thunderclass being void bringers. Mm-hmm. We also have a drawing of a huge chasm fiend also being called a void bringer. Mm-hmm. Is it is it that the gem heart inside? of the chasm fiend is not a spren itself and chasm fiends are not sprens themselves but they are somehow like a repository or a receptacle for other spren to be deposited converting them into these nightmarish voidbringer monsters
0: well i certainly think that we've now seen two forms of life on Roshar that live in symbiosis with the Spren. So the, the listeners, the Parshendi, are always bonded to a Spren. Like, that's how they exist. Unless they're in slave form, in which case they're, they're empty vessels, basically. Can't even, mm-hmm. with no agency, no, no will at all. They're bonded to a Spren. And now we know that the, the Great Shells have Spren. Somehow, as part of their I- intrinsic being, as well. So that's interesting.
1: It is. I'm also getting. You're not. You're. You're not hearing me talk as much because I'm here, sort of thinking and absorbing all this, sort of as we're talking about it mm-hmm. and understanding and coming up with ideas that I didn't have when we were reading it. So we have Voidbringers. I'm sorry. We have Parshendi, as you said bonded to a spren. We have something that's going to happen in the next chapter, you know, after the next chapter, where they're going to bond somehow to a storm spren. Somehow connected to some greater gods, and when these greater gods get pissed off or decide to do whatever they want to do, they can turn the Parshendi into basically their army. They seem to be able to activate the Chasm Fiends and turn them into monsters as well. But again, the Spren are still involved. So, what I don't know is, are there a group of Spren that are like quote, good Spren, honor Spren, and light Spren, and are there a group of Spren that are bad Spren? Or is it that the Spren themselves are neither good or bad, but there are gods behind them that can somehow manipulate them? I don't know. I'm just thinking about all this stuff as we're talking.
0: Well, I'm trying to think about what we've seen so far. We've seen in one of Dalinar's visions Spren being corrupted. So there's that.
1: Tell me how that happened. Was so that?
0: The vision at the Pure Lake, what they're looking mm-hmm. for, he's running around with a group of guys. They're looking for a spren that does not act like a spren should. Mm-hmm. And they say when a spren's been corrupted by Sajah Anat. Okay. This is what it does. And then they find this red-eyed spren yeah. that calls up the Thunderclast. Okay. So we know spren can be corrupted by some kind of creature that we don't know
1: and we know anything that, about. We know that odium rains. And
0: we know that there are spren that are of odium.
1: Okay, I did that I did not know. But I mean I'm assuming death spren and rot spren. But those are like natural though.
0: No, because Syl has told Kaladin that she has seen red some other, some yeah. other kind of spren spren in the storm. Like Red Lightning.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. All right.
0: A lot of thoughts going around uh, the old Duder's mind. Uh,
1: yep, 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 just racking around.
0: So interlude four is called Last Legion. Before meeting with the five, Ashonai visits her mother. Her mother's mind isn't what it used to be, but she still remembers the tale of why the Parshendi ran to the Shattered Plains to escape their old gods. The five meet, and they vote to test out the new form that Venli has discovered, Stormform. Eshona is the last to agree, and does it with the condition that she be the one to attempt the new form. She's holding on to the hope that she'll be able to reach Dalinar, broker peace, and not have to risk the return of the terrible Parshendi gods. So we get a story within a story here.
1: We do. We also start with, we start the chapter with a storm being captured and held inside of a gemstone. Now, at first I thought it was a gem heart. Now I don't think it is because she referenced the size of it and while it's a big honking gem, I got the impression that gem hearts were more like soccer ball sized and this is like a golf ball sized
0: they are but they're the same stuff so oh, gem okay. hearts get broken like gem hearts generally when they're used they get broken up into pieces
1: okay and so it's just it's interesting also that we have spheres which are gemstones captured inside of glass spheres
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and those gems that are in them are able to absorb the light from storms. Right. And then we have gems that can contain or be used to capture and imprison a Mm spread. Those two seem like a fairly clear-cut parallel to me Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and specifically when the first one we know of that occurring with is here in this interlude i don't think it's been i don't think it's been hinted at any other time and it happens to be a storm spren
0: right we also learned that the listeners learned how to capture spren in gemstone's from the humans in the past when they would bond a new spren you would just go out into the storm with the right attitude and sing a certain song and hope for the best
1: come on there guy you're gonna go out there in the storm you're gonna be you're gonna be proud you're gonna pull your pants up you're (laughs) gonna sing a new tune you're gonna come out a new man oh you might
0: die Exactly. You gotta have plenty of pluck. <laughs> but now with this with this new technology, they're able to control that a little bit more.
1: I I don't recall if this is the first time or not we've been told that Spren can be captured inside of a gym. I, I don't know how much that matters. Mm-hmm. I just it was interesting to me. It is. Also interesting is that the the Parshendi have been bonding with Spren for years but the humans are just now figuring out how to do it.
0: Well, the Parshendi bond with Spren intrinsically as part of like their biology. Um it seems like it's not that way with humans. The Nahel bond isn't something that not every human does, and is seems to have been initiated by the Spren.
1: Yeah, it just it's interesting to me that the so Spren and Parsh and the listeners, the listeners and the Spren have been having this sort of bond happening for centuries. But the bond between humans and Spren, something very different. This Nihel bond, which was broken, and the Spren don't seem to want to have anything to do with humans until mm-hmm. recently. So, right. just that was interesting to me because I did not realize that the Parshendi, you know, had been bonding with Spren this whole time. It also does not seem, from anything that we've been able to end it, anything we've been able to see thus far. Again, small sample size that the bonding between the Parshendi and the Spren has any impact on the Spren. It's not necessarily changing them the way it does for sill and pattern.
0: Correct, and the Parshendi Spren don't seem to talk to their host or mm-hmm. uh, we don't know if the the parshendi live in the or the spren are living in the parshendi or we just don't know
1: yeah correct we yeah,
0: know yeah. that the bond seems to give the parshendi this ability to communicate with each other changes their form that's really all we know about it and we know that for much of their remembered history the parshendi after the time of the last legion only had doll form and mate form so I that's a pretty interesting story
1: yeah it is yeah
0: so Ashona asks her mother to tell her again the story of when they left the dark lands or the dark home and back then they were called the last Legion and she says um, dead was the freedom of most people and The Parshendi had forms of power, but those forms were forced on them. They were controlled by their gods and they took on dull form to escape them. That was the only way that they could get away. And she calls it a crippling that brought freedom. But first they composed songs to help them remember their history because apparently dull form is it's very hard to think and remember things. So they had dull form and they had mate form and it was only in the last three years that they discovered nimble form, which made them kind of realize that, oh, the doors were kind of opened for finding more. Mm -hmm. And that's when they started really acting like trying to build their scholarship and stuff. And I thought it was interesting that she says, you know, choosing to murder Gavilar was an affirmation of that decision. It's interesting that now they're on the cusp of going back on that decision.
1: So that sort of leads me to what is kind of my last point here that I want to talk about in this section, and that is the part that is frustrating. Okay. This was a very exciting section from a world-building point of view in that we get to learn We get to learn about the Parshendi, which we've been just clamoring to find out more information about. But the way these things tend to go in these Brandon Sanderson's books, particularly when there are these massive books, is that you get a question answered, you get three more questions. So good that we learned something, but also frustrating that I feel like I just have more questions now. But the the big thing that I'm really hoping we'll get an answer to is this sort of problem that I have with the decision of the Parshendi to kill Gavilar. So it seems to me that the whole intention of killing Gavilar was to stop him from awakening their gods so that the desolations would not come. But then in making this rash decision, they put themselves in a situation where the only chance they have for survival is to do the things that are going to cause their God to awaken, the very thing that they wanted to prevent from happening.
0: Exactly. So I, I'm sorry, were you going to say more about that?
1: Yeah, but go ahead. No, but go ahead.
0: So we've got this sort of arms race scenario going on. And this like tragic cycle of of violence and seeking power begetting more of the same. So we have the Spren are afraid of the old gods coming back. So they start forming this Nahel bond with humans again. But that, that in and of itself is the greatest impetus for the Parshendi being willing to consider doing this thing that might bring back the old gods you know because it always comes back to well surge binding is back so that means that the old gods are coming back anyway so we might as well try this so I think it's important that the listeners don't know for sure and I think they have at least told themselves that they do not believe that storm form is going to bring the old gods back and I think they've convinced themselves that that's not a real risk, or that if it starts to happen, they'll be able to back out of the process and they just won't do that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think that they saw whatever it was that Gavilar wanted to do, they saw as a 100% this is going to cause the gods to come back. Yes. And... They see the course that they're on now with a, eh, you know it's maybe sixty percent
0: likely right. that
1: the gods are going to come back. So I sort of get it from that standpoint, but what I don't get is why you're going to make such a rash decision, such a a quick, in such a quick moment, without really having a lot of time to think about it, because they made that decision that night.
0: To kill Gavilar. To kill Gavilar. Yes.
1: Within a matter of hours. Yes. If not less. They made the decision to kill Gavilar based on what he told them. But they put themselves in a position where they essentially locked themselves into this desperate war that they had very little chance of winning. And that's just rule number one of war is that you don't start a war and be the aggressor. If you can't not win, like y- if you don't have an opportunity to press an advantage, you don't start the war.
0: I think that gets addressed here. That's so. That's interesting that you bring it up, because as Shonai says, that what changed. The scenario when they when they made this decision they decided it was worth the risk because they thought a long drawn-out war would bore the alethi and you know what she's probably right except for the gem hearts Mm, and she says we didn't count on the gem hearts we didn't count on what the greed of the alethi would do As far as making them willing to sit here and have this long, drawn-out war. And it's now it's brought their people to the point of extinction.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just, I feel like, I can, on one hand, I can sort of see it. Because it's not like they're the, it's not like it's never happened in our real history where a country has started a massive war that they couldn't win. Right. You know, Um They clearly thought there was an idea that they thought that they would win, but they miscalculated something. So it's not as though the Parshendi are the first people to miscalculate something.
0: I don't even think they thought that they could win. I think that they thought we're just going to go hide in the shattered plains and hope enough of us live, that the Alethi will get tired of chasing us after a while.
1: Yeah. But there's this unfortunate dynamic of the Alethi being obsessed with the gem hearts and the parshendi needing the gem hearts to eat
0: right and if uh, if gavilar had done whatever it was that he said he was going to do it seems that like you said they were convinced that that would 100 percent bring back their gods which it seems like for them means complete and total enslavement
1: all right I guess I accept that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm like, what, why are you in this? Why would you, you put yourself in this situation? Because you didn't take the time to think it through.
0: Well, it, yeah, obviously.
1: Yeah, I mean, because it's, st- it's such a rash decision. There could have, like, I don't know. They could have maybe said, hey, smart guy. What you think you're gonna do is going to cause all of this shit to happen. Like
0: But we don't know what Gavilar told them he was going to do.
1: True. Are you ready to hear some interactions from our listeners?
0: Well, first I want to know what you make of this the whole deal with the honor blades. I'll
1: make mean, nothing of it. I think the honor blades are the blades that the Heralds held. Okay. And they're, you know, they're nuclear shard blades. Okay. Beyond that, I don't have any.
0: I just thought it was interesting that Ashonai says, when they're talking about whether the Surge Binders are back, Ashonai says, no, it could have been an honor blade. We left one behind in Alethkar that night. Oh. Uh, just something to stew on.
1: So somebody has an honor blade. Yes. Okay, interesting because who would get that blade? So it's not the one Seth has because he already had it. It's probably not the one. It's probably not the one Dalinar has or had. It seems the most obvious candidate is. The dude with the crescent scar on his face.
0: Just something to think about.
1: Something to think about. Okay, fan. Fantastic. Are you ready to hear some...
0: Yes. What are our questions? questions?
1: So we have some questions. So Brian McClure says, what was your favorite interlude? What was your favorite interlude?
0: Um, This time through, it was The Last Legion. I thought... I really got a lot more out of the the family relationships. Whereas in the past, I think I was kind of reading through to get the information or kind of speeding through. But the dynamic between Ashona and her sister and her mother, and when her mother mistakes her for Venley and is like, oh, Venley, you're such a good girl, not like your sister, always running off, you know? Yeah. And I just felt that this time, you know? And I, I just really feel is a character and I feel her emotional struggle and what she's trying to do for her people and for her family but then you know and then her sister is throws that back in her face as well at the end you know Venley's incredibly ambitious she wants this new form for herself she also really resents her sister for I think for being the general for being kind of the popular one the the assumed leader of their people Mm -hmm. and now she's going to get to be the one to try the new form out that she's discovered even though venly was always the good girl the one who stayed at home to memorize the songs while ashonai went off and made maps or whatever so i just really felt those relationships and i felt that the story of the last legion just that just kind of gives me uh those good story chills you know um this idea of these people who sacrificed Not only their power, but really themselves, um, in order to 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 get away from their gods and to stop this cycle of desolations. Um, I just that's that was my favorite one this time through.
1: Yeah, I especially like the scenes with the mother. That that was sad. Mm -hmm. The scenes with the mom were. were definitely sad. My favorite was still Yim. Yes. I liked that one quite a bit. I probably would have liked the ones with the Parshendi more if I didn't get so wrapped up in being frustrated.
0: Like, why are you guys such idiots?
1: Why would you do this? Like, there's got to be another way. You don't have to be so rash. All you people want to kill first and then figure shit out later. Mm -hmm. And then wonder why you end up in these horrific situations. So, so that part had me so frustrated that I probably was not enjoying it as much as I should have. So Yim was my favorite. Brian also asked, what was your favorite new character in these interludes?
0: I mean, Yim, but then he died and it's sad.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I would, ag- I would agree with that. I'm going to say Esh and I want mm-hmm. to be different and because I think that's a character we're going to get more of, right. that we're going to get an opportunity to learn more about the Parshendi mm-hmm. film. So so I'm I'm excited about that opportunity. So Jen Ashley asks, what do you think of Esh and I? And what about these revelations that from the setting?
0: Yeah, I mean, we kind of talked about
1: that. Yeah, we did. I, I mean... Again, very excited to get that perspective and to start to unpack that other side of it. I think I sort of feel like the relationship between the Parshendi and the rest of Roshar is going to be what the rest of the series is about.
0: Yeah. Jen Nagel also has a couple of other comments that she was looking for our feedback on, some of which we talked about. But she says, what did you think about the Shattered Plains being a city uh, spren being used to f- trigger form changes and being trapped in gems. The listeners seeming to fear and hate their gods. The listeners are different from the parchment because they have forms. We kind of like reacted to all that stuff. So she also says, uh, "Eshinai is a big nerd, and her sister is a bigger nerd." You gotta love it. A fantasy nerd in a fantasy fantasy book. <laughs> I'm just saying. Oh, what about the fact that listener women have way more social mobility?
1: Yeah, I thought it was interesting that sort of the head of the Parshendi, the head general, the head warrior is a is a female. So in these primitive Parshendi are m- actually much more egalitarian than uh, the supposedly civilized Alethi.
0: It's such an interesting contrast between the very strict gender roles, even though we've talked about that the Alethi have their own sort of equality, but still very strict gender roles there mm-hmm. versus the listeners who really everyone is the same. You know, Malin and Femalin, and it doesn't seem to really make that much of a difference. And you have to wonder if it's, because they have no sexual urges outside of when they're in this one particular form. And it sounds like most of them don't really like being in that form. You know, they'll suck it up and be in mate form for like a year. But then that's it. They're
1: <laughs> Well, would you want to be 15 for any longer than a year? Oh,
0: God, no. It sounds terrible. Right? <laughs> Though for women, it's 35. I'm just saying. <laughs> So let's talk about the listener spies in the Alethi camps, though, because we didn't address that very much.
1: No, we mentioned it, but we right. didn't didn't really get into it.
0: So do, yeah, um, we didn't really think about that. The fact that there could be these Parshendi or listeners in dull form amongst the Parshmen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's expressed deliberately that, you know, that's how they send them out, you know, is to be spies among them, which... I think is really cool. Also, sort of a limitation of your spy craft when the people who are your spies are dull.
0: <laughs> right. So It's not I mean, Ethan Hunt going in there.
1: No, it's not Jason Bourne. No. It's not
0: <laughs> um, she also says, of course, I think the Alephian listener scholars should revolt and run away and start a university together. Um, she says that she can see Ashonai and Shallan becoming fast friends and that Yasna should take on Ashonai as a ward. I mean, that sounds like killer fanfic right there. And I think that someone think Jen should, should write it. definitely get on that.
1: Right. Make it happen. I'll
0: read the heck out of that.
1: <laughs>
0: Brian McClure says, do you have any thoughts or theories on the mysterious man with a strange scar on his face dressed in black and silver who carries a shard blade? Do you, Chad? Do you I, have theories? I do. I Lay do have theories
1: and, and thoughts about the mysterious man in the black and silver uniform with the crescent scar on his face. So, so again, he's one of the, quote, ambassadors from the West that we find in both of the prologues. And when we see him, he's talking with this other person who appears, Alethi. They're talking about Ash who they say is not doing well and talk about how one of them has our Lord's blade.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, again, as I, as we talk about these things, more sort of, you know, more information is downloading. Like the, the download's not complete. I'm still, still getting more stuff going on here. It seems to me now that I think about it, that their Lord's blade is the honor blade that Eshenaya references.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, Tend to think that the dude with the scar and the other guy are both were both heralds, okay, and I think Ash is the herald uh Shalash, mm-hmm. whose statue was the one statue that was missing mm-hmm. from the uh, all the ten boan mm-hmm. heralds the statues of the heralds i I almost sort of question if the man with the scar. Is somehow related to town- mm-hmm.
0: 'cause
1: they talk about town's scar mm-hmm. uh and if he's the son of bitch that got left behind might explain why he's so bitter
0: well, town is the one who yeah town was the one who was left behind,
1: so we don't know he may right. he may still be there being tortured,
0: but well, we also saw him return. Oh, at the, the oh, end of uh, book right.
1: one. Oh, yeah, that's right. That or was... at least
0: someone claiming to be him.
1: Yeah, good point. Okay. The other part of it is that, you know, this dude is the guy who shows up and stabs a dude through the heart for something he apparently unknowingly committed 40 years ago.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I guess nobody ever said all the Heralds had to be good?
0: I mean, when we first met them, they were all pulling kind of a dick move, so...
1: Seem just kind of like people who <laughs> ended up in a really weird situation.
0: Yeah. I mean, millennia of torture might do that to you.
1: You're right. So those are sort of my thoughts on, on that cat and who he, who he is and who he might be. All right. Kelly Walsh asks, what is the lottery number you guys would have to hit to make the podcast? The only work you do. You should put work in quotes. Uh, And would you still do it?
0: I mean, that's the dream. Not going to lie. That's what we we talk about doing in our old age. Absolutely. One day.
1: I mean, listen, I'm only working until we can get the kids out of the house. So, you know, when the last one turns 18, which is 10 years, 5 months, and 28 (laughs) days, not that I'm counting, (laughs) then, uh, yeah, then it's on.
0: (laughs) Never wear pants again. That's
1: right. If we could find a way to somehow replace my income through podcasting, we sure as hell would do it.
0: Absolutely. I've got... We'd podcast y'all so hard. <laughs> have no idea.
1: I mean, I've got some ideas for other podcasts I'd like to do and other things I'd like to do with this podcast that I just simply don't have the time to do it. But if money wasn't an issue, then time wouldn't be an issue. So true. So just, you know, like a cool mill... <laughs> I'd even pay taxes on it I'm not greedy
0: and Brian McClure says best quote from this section which we've already answered objectively is <laughs> justice does not expire <laughs> using that on our children at some point
1: justice is made of spam <laughs> Eric Holgeier says have you ever been in a situation and secretly thought WWKWD I can only assume that by K.W., he means Kelly Walsh, who has a, a clearly offered to give us a million dollars for podcasting.
0: <laughs> Obviously. <laughs>
1: Susan King asks, do you think there's a connection between the big castle-like islands in Dalinar's vision in the in the Pure Lake area and the huge floating living islands we see in the interlude with Rison?
0: I mean, for me, I didn't see a connection there. When I pictured the structure in Dalinar's vision, it was more of a man-made looking thing, but it's just how I pictured it.
1: Yeah, I agree. I feel like there's not a lot of similarities in the descriptions. Also, it was expressed as being obsidian black. So I don't, I I do wonder if there might be like I, I do think that's relevant. I do think that's an important thing to pay attention to, uh, but I don't think it's. I don't think it's the. Con, I don't think it's connected to this. That would be mine. She also asked, "Did I understand correctly that the Parshendi were capturing Spren in the Gemharts?" Uh, yes, yes, that is that is accurate. Da'ba da says, "If one third is zero point three three, and two thirds." Is 0.66, then one-third plus two-thirds doesn't equal one. What's up with that?
0: Oh, homeschool mom. (laughs) It's 0.3 repeating and 0.6 repeating. You just have to repeat it more times. Yeah, it just goes on forever. Much like asking my children to take out the trash or anything. (laughs) Just how often do you repeat it?
1: Put your shoes on. Put your shoes on. Put your shoes on. Put your, put your, put your, put your shoes Exactly.
0: <sighs> do you have your shoes on yet?
1: <laughs> How many times do I have to tell you to put your shoes on?
0: <laughs> one of these days we just got to drag all their asses to school barefoot. I- and let the principal deal with it. And <laughs> be like, I'm sorry. We turn over parenting to you.
1: <laughs> I'm down.
0: <laughs> it's going to happen one day.
1: I am down. <laughs>
0: Did you have an answer for that question better than mine? No. It's
1: okay. Weird. It's not quite how math works, Dob. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We have a new review on iTunes. Woohoo. That's right. We
0: love those.
1: We do. Five star review from Toxic Avenger 45, who says one of the best shows to listen to about fantasy books when you have no one to talk to about some of your favorite fantasy
0: books. <laughs> You can talk to us any day, Toxic Th- Avengers. That
1: is why we started the podcast. It is. That's the whole reason why the show exists.
0: Absolutely the entire reason.
1: So thank you for listening and thank you for your review. Are you ready for predictions? Yes. Alright, I've already told told you some of my predictions. So I think the dude with the scar is a herald. I also think he is uh, talking with another herald and the herald ash that they're speaking about is uh shalash okay i think gavilar was trying to find air
0: okay
1: and that's why they had to kill him i think the uh gem hearts are a vessel for spren allowing them to be turned into monsters by odium okay i think the listeners when they were in the dark land were referencing Shadesmar.
0: Hmm. So I think they were
1: born and lived initially in Shadesmar.
0: Hmm.
1: I'm going to tell you once again how the series ends. Okay. Big final conclusion. It's going to end with the humans, the Rosharan humans, whatever, the Alethi, helping the listeners, the Parshendi, escape their gods, thus short-circuiting This whole cycle of desolations. Okay. That's how it ends. You heard it here first.
0: I did. I like it.
1: And then my last prediction is Dalinar's going to die.
0: Like in this book, in the next book, just at some point in the series?
1: Before the end of the next book. Okay. There's no way he survives to the end of book five. All right. He, he does not give him a
0: five book expiration date. Justice does not expire, but apparently Dalinar does. Absolutely,
1: <laughs> absolutely, he does. I, I mean, I know I said that in the last book. I didn't necessarily, I wasn't necessarily predicting he would die in the Way of Kings, but I predicted he would die, and then I sort of got surprised when it ended up, um, you know, being that he ends up. Uh, you know, kind of working his way out of that trap. But the more I think about it and I was listening to back to our last couple of podcasts. Yeah. I listened to the podcast too. I'm pretty convinced he's going to bite it. All right. I feel like that has to happen at some point. I don't know if it's going to be that Seth kills him. Although that would be nobody has survived him yet but uh, I definitely think he's going to die. I'm, if I have to call it, I'm going to say he dies in book three. Okay. Them's my predictions. So next week, we will release a podcast episode. It'll be a surprise in the spirit of Christmas. But the next book club podcast that we will do, which will be coming out uh, just prior to New Year's, We'll be covering chapters 13 through 21 of the Words of Radiance. You can find us on the Duke and Duchess Podcast.com. That's our website. You can find us on Twitter at the DND Podcast. You can find us on Instagram at the Duke and Duchess Podcast. Also on the Reddits at r the Duke and Duchess. And on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess, and on our Facebook group page at groups slash the d and d group, that is where most of our interaction comes. We've had a few more uh, folks join in the last couple of weeks, so the numbers there are continuing to grow. The conversation is great. there's always folks to chat with and talk with about these books and other books that we've covered uh so really a great place to hang out. You know what else I'm noticing? I'm just sort of getting to the place where I'm noticing that there are more and more people who are reaching out to us who are coming, who are just now coming on board. So I'm getting folks on Twitter, folks on Instagram who are coming on and saying, I'm in chapter or I'm in episode 13. I'm so glad I found you guys. And and uh, I just finished uh, The Lies of Locke Lamore. I can't wait to catch up with you guys. So we have folks who are kind of coming in at the beginning. That's cool. Right now, yeah, which is pretty cool. I think that's that's an interesting sort of thing about podcast is that we can sort of be chatting with people who are 10 episodes into this whole thing. They do not know. They have
0: no idea. What's coming <laughs>
1: so yeah so that's interesting and that's fun always uh always fun to discover new fantasy nerds that we can chat with good night everybody good night
0: years ago or whatever.
1: I don't care about what happened at <laughs> Hastings Bridge.
0: <laughs> you preserve my ignorance.
1: <laughs> Listen,
0: if it's been
1: 1300 years,
0: <laughs> it's not a spoiler it's anymore. It's no longer a spoiler. Shame hey, on you. If I didn't know about it, it was a spoiler. <laughs> Are we, oh, are we
1: ready? Oh yeah, we've been recording.
0: Okay. Oh, I should have said that all that into the mic.
1: You should have said all that into the mic.
0: Do you want me to say it again?
1: Uh, why don't you go ahead and leave the room? Yeah. And then come back in and tell me all that stuff all over again.
0: That's my fake walking sound. How was it?
1: It was very fake.
0: Convincing. It was very fake. <laughs> That's what I was going for.
1: Well, in that case, bravo. <laughs> Your fake walking sound was very fake.